Thank you for listening to the Koger Center Arts Roundup podcast. Welcome back. Welcome back to this week's episode of the Koger Center Arts Roundup. Um, I'm your host, Nate Terratio. This week, we have a very special guest with us, composer, arranger, educator, Omar Thomas. Omar, welcome to the Koger Center Arts Roundup. Thank you so much for having me. So I met uh, Omar just 10 minutes ago or so, and we had a very informal chat, and I uh, uh, jumped off to the start where I said, how do you describe yourself? So uh, now that we've done that once and we got over the confusion of what that really means, Omar, right. how, would you, how would you describe yourself to our Sure, listeners? I would call myself a, a jazz composer and a music theory professor. And you're currently at uh, Peabody, the Peabody Institute? Correct, in Baltimore. And what do you teach there? I am teaching music theory. I'm also teaching, uh, co-teaching a class called Music for Dance. Um, and I am teaching a jazz theory fundamentals course. Uh, and you describe yourself as a jazz composer. What's, what's your journey um, uh, to get to where you are today, education-wise? You said you, you told me that you started performing uh, at age seven? Yeah, I just, you know, that was around the, the age that you join band is in elementary school. And so I started kind of with everyone else in fourth grade and uh, went all the way through. In middle school, I had access to a jazz ensemble, so I joined that. And in high school, I had access to a marching band and all these other ensembles and joined that. So I'm 100% a product of public school music education and then went to college to get a degree in music education um, because it had given me my whole life. So. so it was that inspiration of uh, doing music from elementary through high school mm -hmm. that made you pursue music education yeah. in college? Absolutely. And you played trombone? Yeah. Uh, and do you still play much? I don't, unfortunately. I haven't really played since grad school. I chose the writing path and the teaching path, and that's more than enough to keep my plate full. Uh, tell me and our listeners a little bit about uh, how you came to become a composer. So what, what was that first composition like? Sure. I used to just do it for fun, you know, um, and I was kind of really into the marching band world when I was in middle school and the anticipation of being in the marching band was very exciting. And um, I used to have this program. Uh, computer program called Cakewalk Pro Audio, where I would just kind of write music into that. Um, I would be listening to uh, uh, marching band sample recordings and just trying to reproduce what I heard. And this is without any theoretical knowledge of really knowing how music worked. So it was uh, pretty wrong at first, but you know, it was an invaluable way to train my ears and to really understand music from a very emotional place. Did you spend time saying like, I wonder what the instrumentation here is. You'd hear a marching band and you'd go, you know, when, so, who's, who's playing and, and, and you try to like recreate the arrangement? Of yeah, the so what, what it was was when I was in middle school, <laughs> I'm confessing this on the air, is uh, my director used to have all of the music kind of out on the shelf. And um, I used to go through and take one of each of the trombone parts and just like read it down and learn it. Um, and then I would ask for scores so I could look and follow along as I was listening to these recordings and you kind of learn the roles of the different instruments that way. I, I had that moment the other night, we had a jazz concert in our lobby and um, they, they played Sing, Sing, Sing. Oh yeah, sort sure. Of, you know, your classic, mm -hmm. um, which I've heard hundreds of times. Mm -hmm. But um, I, one of the great things about the concerts to, to me in the lobby are that you're right up on the uh, performers. So yeah. it's sort of club style. Right. And so I was watching the 
you know, the horns and the saxophones talk to each other, yeah. and it and suddenly the like how it was laid out suddenly made sense. Yeah, for yeah. the first time. Um, so uh, I, I'm just whatever, <laughs> thirty years behind. No, as long as we get there, right? It's the journey, not the destination. So, so you were you were doing this in middle school, um, and then did you continue this process in high school? So when yeah, you were I got in it. the high school marching band, did you get to? sort of like help and arrange and yeah so i got even deeper into it um you know i wrote a thing for the jazz ensemble that we played i wrote a thing for the wind ensemble that we read um but then in high school that's when i really had access to all of these scores and these recordings and i just kind of did a deep dive on my own and i have over i had past tense over a hundred arrangements that i did all saved on floppy disk and who knows what happened to all of them but um, that was invaluable training for me. And then I did go back after I graduated and I arranged um, the shows for my high school marching band for two years and then just continued to do it through college, you know. Um, so when you found yourself in college uh, getting a music education degree, mm -hmm. did you think that you were going to come out and, and teach high school band? Or I sure did. That was the plan. Band or? Actually, I thought I was going to be a high school band director. That was the goal. And then I did it. <laughs> did it student teaching i was like you know i don't think i don't think i have the energy to keep this up for 10 20 30 years um and that's when i kind of had a moment so how did you find your way into this jazz side of composing sure i um i was asked to write a piece for the our jazz ensemble by our director and i this is in college this was in college and i was terrified at the thought because the music that he was programming was literally blowing my mind apart it was just so fascinating and so cool and such great music i was like i don't ever want to write something that you would put up against that and one day i bit the bullet and did it and long story short that piece that i wrote was the third track off my first album and then i wrote another one and that became the second track on my first album. And so I was like, well, maybe this is something I can check out. <laughs> now, is was that beginner's luck or have you have you found that sort of like wall since well, then? Or I mean, I've been I'd been developing these skills ever since middle school because I've been writing for that long, you know. Um, so I guess I was just kind of prime priming myself to do this for a while. And it just took the right educator to to push me into actually saying yes to doing it. So how, how was it uh, to complete the first one? What was that process like for you to like to go from being asked to sort of turning it in, sure. saying, here it is, what do you think? Um, I remember the first day that we read it in Ensemble, I was so nervous that I couldn't even sit up because the butterflies were just so intense. And I remember playing it, and it didn't quite sound the way that I'd heard it in my head, but I could hear that the tune was in there and i mean i made a ton of beginners mistakes and i'm glad i made those mistakes because um, i don't make those mistakes anymore and um i actually had a private lesson on that piece with a composer named maria schneider grammy award-winning incredible composer and what she taught me in that lesson it changed my life and and i take with me everywhere i go to every piece and she was basically like this piece it's really incredible you just need to turn your pencil upside down and dig it out and I thought that was really a profound statement, you know, this idea of overcomposing. I just wrote too much. I just got to dig the piece out. And um, that's when I learned about space and time and music and development and shape and all of that stuff. How did you come to have that private lesson with her? 
I looked her up in a phone book back when that was a thing that people did. So you just cold called her. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. So, so um, this is back when an organization exists called existed called the International Association for Jazz Education, or IAJE. And her ensemble, the jazz ensemble, played a concert there. And there used to be a directory. Um, and in the back of the directory was everybody's, every member's information. And so after hearing this concert and knowing her music and meeting her, I just looked her up in the directory and contacted her. Yeah. And, and here you are today. Here I am today. So tell me a little bit more about why you're in town uh, here in Columbia, South Carolina. Sure. So this is a uh, composer's residency. Um, uh, the piece that's being performed come Sunday was premiered a year ago and some change uh, at Illinois State University. And um, that was funded by a consortium of, of uh, directors who put money towards it. And um, and so I'm here because uh, Dr. Cannon is uh, performing the piece with the Wynn Ensemble. And, um, and I'm just kind of here to have the whole experience with the students and be a part of their music making process and get to know who they are and they can get to know who I am and you know my motivations and what drives me and inspires me and it's just it's going to be a really nice moment of connection and and communication and artistry so you're sitting in on rehearsal i am you're are you doing some more small scale workshop yeah or, we or have teaching we in classrooms a, 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 just kind of a general life and art discussion this morning um yeah, there are a number of rehearsals. There's a local high school that's doing one of my pieces that I'll be popping into later today. Um, and rehearsals tonight and tomorrow. So, yeah, just there to give to give the perspective straight from the source, I suppose. So I also want to touch upon the fact that the Wind Ensemble is a slightly different group of people than um, the Jazz Ensemble that you wrote those original pieces mm -hmm. for. Um, when I think of our wind ensemble, I don't think of them as a jazz band, but uh, um, I suppose that a, the the description of the uh, ensemble really has to do with what music they're playing rather than uh, than the group of people. So me saying they're not a jazz band, it's because they just don't typically play jazz music. Right. Well, yeah, I mean, that that's a bit of a complicated thing, right? Um, my jazz writing has always been a little bit uh, symphonic inspired because the writers who inspired me have, always, have also had a symphonic sensibility about their writing. So I think one of the things that, um, that I'm really about as an artist is blurring these lines and combining these languages and uh, de-siloing music and uh, kind of tearing down the compartmentalization, which is why even though most of my compositions now are in wind ensemble, I still say that I am a jazz writer and I try to bring all of that language to the wind ensemble and find the ways that these two mediums can talk to each other in a way that's organic and in a way that makes sense. So you got a degree in jazz composition, composition yes. um, but you there's also degrees in other styles of a composition. Sure. And what do they teach you that's different? That is a really, really good question. Because notice that jazz composition has a qualifier, and the idea of just a composition degree does not. And I mean, that's a much bigger conversation to be had, these qualifiers that exist in academia with musicology versus ethnomusicology. And, you know, um, and there are just a, a whole litany of others that we can go through. The difference, I mean, I can't even speak to the composition degree because I didn't do one, but it's just all about who it is that you're studying and it's very much a western european focused type of um study 
and the way that that music has influenced American composers. Um, and so it's, yeah, it's very different, you know, and um, I think I'm, I'm, in a way, I benefit from the fact that I didn't get a degree in composition. Um, it's a double-edged sword. I think that there are great things that I do in my music that I think I have the freedom to do because I didn't really study some things, but also I know there's probably a lot of information that I missed because I didn't do this degree in composition. Um, you uh, are a professor. Mm -hmm. You started being a professor at quite a young age. Mm -hmm. um, I suppose that that wasn't a huge jump for you, um, perhaps because you had gone to undergrad thinking you were become a band teacher. Yeah, yeah. Um, how is your... Uh, putting aside your life as a composer, mm -hmm. your academic life, how is that different from what you envisioned when you thought to yourself, I want to go into you know, being a music educator? Yeah. Do you, uh, on your website, you list yourself as composer, arranger, educator. Uh -huh. So do you, you still see yourself, I assume, as a music educator? Oh, absolutely. That's, yeah, that's what I do. <laughs> and, <laughs> music professor. And, and is uh, being at a university, being a professor, um, you know, how does that differ from what you had in your mind when you thought, I want to go into music education? The people are older. <laughs> you know, if you're teaching high school, <laughs> they're younger and they require more and you're with them more. And it's just a, it's a different kind of energy that I my hat's off to people who do that for decades and decades because it took two months of me student teaching at a high school and two months in middle school to realize that I did not have the energy reserves to do that. Do you think that you have a different um, end result? Maybe not uh, end result, but you have you go about it a different way. Because in my mind, if you are teaching high school, mm -hmm. um, you're you're inspiring audiences, um, and if you're teaching in college, you're really teaching people how to become the performers. But is maybe that's I think that way because I'm on the outside. Yeah, I think that we're teaching people how to be the performers and inspiring the audiences at all of the ages. Um, so honestly, the main difference for me is just about a where they are in their lives, right? Um, the people that you're dealing with in college, they are music students. They have already decided that this is what they're going to study. Whereas in high school you're dealing with people who haven't made up their minds yet about what they're going to do in the next part of their lives, right? Um, and again, they're just younger, they're in a different place, they require a different kind of attention. Um, and so, yeah, I figured that college was probably better for me uh, with regards to where they are and being able to meet them at that level. But I also, I love that with what I'm doing now with these residencies, I get to go visit with younger people and I think that that's incredible as well. Um, it just reminds me just how special band kids are, really special people. Um, for from a, getting back to your compositions, um, do you have uh, like it's asking you you know who's your favorite child? But do you have a favorite? Uh, or, uh, do you um, is there something that the folks at home should look up and listen to if, if they don't know you? Um. I mean, I, it's a super cliche thing to say that my favorite piece is the one I haven't written yet, right? That's like a thing that people say, and it's poetic and whatnot. I would encourage people to check out a piece of mine called Of Our New Day Begun for a number of reasons. Because of the subject matter was written to remember the victims of the Mother Emanuel Church shooting in Charleston. Um, because the music that anchors that piece is the Black National Anthem, Lift Up Your Voice and Sing, 
And I think that there are a lot of people out there who don't have exposure to that music, and I think that they should. Um, and just it's it's a piece that's been extremely well received. Um, and so I'm I'm especially proud of that one because of the reception and the power that it has had over audiences. I think that's a really special thing. Um, so that's probably the piece that I would point to that people should check out. Uh, we were talking a little bit earlier about uh, how you, you know, how do you compose? Like, what, what's the process? Yeah. Um, can you touch a little bit uh, about how, uh, you know, what you do? Because sure. to someone like me, it is, it's like magic. Sure. Um, I, I to really... someone like me, it's like magic too, shoot. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the process is to live life. The process is to live life. Um, I most of my pieces are written as I am existing, as I'm putting ideas together in my head, as I'm doing X, Y, and Z, and just going about my day to day. I usually start from we were talking about a vibe, a vibe. What is what is the emotional framework of this idea that I'm trying to flesh out, and all of the decisions that I make are in service to exploring that vibe as deeply as possible kind of doing a deep dive into this moment but um on the technical side you know i've got giant staff paper on my piano and i just kind of throw ideas down everywhere it's kind of like if you open a box of like a, you know of a jigsaw puzzle and you dump all the pieces out and sometimes randomly you get pieces that are stuck together already and <laughs> but most of the time you don't and so me what i write on on paper is those pieces and then i assemble the pieces um later of at different times you know and then there's a program that i use where i can actually put that music um into the program and from that i can print out parts for the musicians to um read i can print out a score for the conductor to read and i can also do a fairly decent um sound mock-up of what the piece is supposed to sound like um i personally don't write directly into that program i know composers who do but for me that's an added barrier um between my ideas and getting them out so I work most efficiently um, pencil and paper. And I will sit at the piano and dig out ideas if I can't really make sense of it. But I I chart the piece out in my head as I'm just uh, existing. Uh, you write for jazz ensembles. You write for these uh, wind ensembles. Mm -hmm. um, do you... Uh, write uh, do you write lyrics do you write music for lyrics no i've only written lyrics once and it was begrudgingly even though it turned out to be successful um because lyric writing is a whole different thing you know i don't think people really appreciate what it takes to be a powerful um lyricist um that's hard <laughs> it's just a whole different thing and it's not something that i focus on um but have you written music for lyrics so did somebody hand you lyrics? In looking oh, at your, yeah, I have. In your, in your biography, have, yes. you've sure. got the works that are performed That's by choruses. Different. And so does somebody hand you the lyrics up front, or are you providing a composition and they're then you know, writing lyrics to the music after the fact, I have or are you had, going hand in hand? I've had people send give me lyrics, and that's different. Putting music to words is a different thing than coming up with the words yourself. Absolutely. Right? So it's the coming up with the words myself part that I don't do often. I've only done once. But, yes, I definitely put um, music to lyrics before, um, and I enjoy that process. It's different. Do they hand you, you know, what looks like a poem all written yep. out? and it's exactly um, how it is. And then you just uh, come up with a tune that yep. fits it all together. Mm -hmm. That's exactly right. 
So we talked about feeling the vibe and how uh, you compose uh, music from that place of, uh, of feeling. Um, do you sometimes search for that feeling through uh, or, or find inspiration through other people's works? Do you are, are there things that you listen to that uh, you know get the creative juices rolling, um, allow, allow the music to come faster and easier? Well, um, there are a couple of pieces that I've heard in my life that made me know, allowed me to, to dream that that was something that I wanted to do. Um, I spoke a little bit about Marie Schneider earlier. She has a piece called Hang Gliding, which literally changed my life. I remember where I was when I heard it. I remember how I felt. And I, I just remember thinking to myself, I did not know that big band can sound like this. I just didn't even know it was an option. And listening to her music gives me permission to write the music that I write. Um, I, I no longer feel like I have to write wind ensemble music, whatever that means as a genre. I now know that I can write my music for whatever ensemble um, I'm working with. And I have the freedom to do that. And the only limits are what I can come up with. Do you ever take something that you've written for one kind of group, one size ensemble, mm -hmm. and then rearrange it for something different? I have done that before, but it's been um, it's been in four ensembles that are very like the ensemble that it was originally for. So I've had uh, like a, a smaller group jazz ensemble piece that I've blown up to a full big band, and I've had a piece that I wrote for a trombone sextet that I wrote, rewrote for a tuba quartet, but it's all very kind of like uh, things. I've not had a piece for like big band that I've written for wind ensemble and vice versa or anything like that yet, but anything is possible, I suppose. Um, do, have you, in your adult uh, composing career, mm -hmm. sort of fallen back on the, those early skills of listening to something and trying to pull it apart? So when you when you've had the door open for you uh, and you go, oh wow, have you sat down and said, I, I need to figure out what this means? Yeah, I I listen like that all the time. The thing is, once you figure that out, you can't turn it off, right? So I tell my students that every time I listen to music, it's just a stream of dancing Roman numerals in my head and. Roman numerals are what we use to analyze uh, harmonies in music. And so I listen to a song and I'm always thinking about it analytically from an emotional place. Because to me, the analysis represents, it's like a, it's a visual representation of how the music feels. So I can't turn that off. And sometimes you just want to, <laughs> you just want to listen to the song, um, but you can't help but detect all of the, the, the shifts and changes in the music in that way. Can you sort of completely shift genre and listen to something very yeah. different in order to sort of help turn that off? No, or even that, even then you can't turn it. Well, off? it's I mean it's the same twelve notes. You know the five chord wants to go to one regardless of the genre of music, so you can't turn it off, no matter what you listen to, um, until you listen to music that's just completely atonal, which isn't about <laughs> Roman numerals, and then that's a whole different thing. Then Roman numerals are not even the point anymore. Uh, we, what do you like to listen to to sort of relax to not uh, to, to not if you're trying to not work and, um, and you put on music what, what kinds of stuff do you like um I've lately been listening to a lot of common because uh, I've oh I just I think that common needs to get more love I just love what he's always trying to say in his music and I've been re revisiting his album black America again and to me like the last three tracks of that make a sweet. Uh, a tune by John Legend called Let It Rain, and then there's another track whose name I forget, and then the final track is called Letter to the Free. And to me, that's just like this triptych of really powerful uh, socially conscious music. 
and it's and it's well written and he's saying profound things and he just released another album called Let Love and he's you know he's basically rhyming over these jazz grooves and I just I love that intersectionality and um, that's the kind of intersectionality that I hope to explore more in my own music um, so that's been really great um, I guess tis the season so. <laughs> the 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 boys to men christmas album makes me so happy it makes me so happy i can listen to it four times a day and it's interesting because it's not a traditional they're not just doing covers of the hits but it's actually it's pretty melancholic and i feel like you don't get a lot of holiday albums that deal with the real you know um people often listen to that to escape from harshness but they handle that in their christmas album and i think it's great um so i've been listening to that too much if you ask me. Uh, <laughs> and um, that's kind of where I've been. I don't know. I've been, I've had this common album forever, but I've just been revisiting it and it's been speaking to me in a different way. Um, so I'm spending a lot of time there lately. And I, and the thing is, I don't think it's ever about turning off. Like I listen to that and I just take different things out of everything I listen to that I want to incorporate into my own music. You know, I love the power of what common is saying, but I also love the, power of the music that he's saying it over and how those two things complement each other and so i'm always thinking about that and how can i recreate that feeling in a wind ensemble setting or in a big band setting or for whomever so i'm just trying to get to the core of of what is driving all of this musical emotional greatness and potency and i'm trying to tap into that regardless of who i'm writing for or what i'm writing I always want that to be at the, the center of whatever it is that I present that has my name on it. And from listening to you speak, it sounds like that analysis of other people's music makes you happy. Yeah. It's I not mean, work. It, it, it's, it's joy. It's fun. Yeah. I mean, you just want to see what other people are doing in your field, you know? And my field is music, regardless of the type of music, you know? And so when people are doing interesting, fun, innovative, emotional, powerful things, like I laugh about it because that's great. You know, um, and I've also been revisiting uh, Duke Ellington albums um, because he was such an innovator. And uh, and there's just there's just so much. Sometimes you get depressed because you realize that there's that thing out there that if you heard it would change your life. But good luck getting to it because there's just so much out there, you know, so you're always grateful for that thing that comes across your plate that really speaks to you in a certain way, because, you know, you know, the odds of that happening sometimes are very slim. And so you really have to take that and be grateful for it. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Uh, this is the Coker Center Arts Roundup. Uh, Omar Thomas is visiting us in Columbia, South Carolina. He get to see the Wind Ensemble's uh, performance uh, on Tuesday night. The performance is entitled Evolution, and they'll be performing Omar's uh, Come Sunday uh, so I hope everyone can step out and see that. Um, thank you so much for joining us. This was a blast. Thanks for having me. The Coker Center Arts Roundup is produced in part by Garnet Media Group, the student media partnership at the University of South Carolina. Information about tickets and upcoming events can be found at CogerCenterForTheArts.com, the official website for Coger Center tickets. For more information about Garnet Media Group, visit garnetmedia.org.